You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right, welcome back to the Minnesota Twins SB Nation podcast. We are back, me and Andrew. Andrew, how are you doing today? I'm uh, doing well, Cooper. We just had a nice little good week of baseball there. Oh, six and six and two stretch and ready to talk about it and have some fun. Absolutely. The Twins are, we had that one week, a few weeks ago, where it was just bad baseball. And ever since then, it hasn't felt great. But they're, they're a really good team. They're 19 and 10. And this week, they've they played well again. The once again they played Milwaukee and Kansas City. You're all probably as tired of them as I am by now, but they're done with them, and it was fun. They took two of three from each team. Uh, the Milwaukee series, the, we had the magnificent Kenta Maeda game, followed by just a really game of the Twins. Just kind of said, "We're not going to win this one," and then they blew them out in the third. Or was it? No, I'm looking at. It. Yep, seven to one. Kansas City took two of three again. They've kind of just had our number this year, but luckily the Twins were finally able to get some revenge. So. But back to the Milwaukee series, as I mentioned, Kenta Maeda had the game of his life and a near no hitter. I think if Polanco spins the other way on that hit, he catches it. It's just game of inches and a near no hitter ended up being in a, what was it? A, yeah, four to three extra inning win. That shouldn't have been that close, but it was a great, great pitch game. How, what do you think of it? I mean, I, first thing that comes to my mind just watching that, you know, is how fun was that? Right. As, as a baseball fan, and a Twins fan, to, to watch that, even though he didn't get the no-hitter, he got broken up in the ninth, like, that was probably the most fun times you're going to have watching baseball. It's not a postseason baseball game. Yeah. Where and, you're, you're hanging on right. every single pitch, and every single <laughs> pitch matters. And even though, yes, you want the Twins to score runs, you also want them to just get three out so Kenta Maeda can get back out there. Because you want to see Kenta Maeda do it. You know, it's oh, just, yeah. that, that, that's, that's prime baseball. That, that is what makes baseball the greatest game. Yes, and especially for a Twins fan recently, the only no-hitter I've ex- well that comes to recent memory is Francisco Liriano's in 2011, where he walked six guys and I think struck out one. It was the least dominant no-hitter I think you'll ever see. And this, I mean, this Maeda game was ten times better, more well-pitched, and he was so close. And at what point during the game do you say to yourself, all right, he's got it going, What, what he might throw a no-hitter here? I think typically... Once you get through six, no hit, and it's been a dominant, like, no hit through six innings, that's when it's, okay, let's pay attention. This is something special going on. Anything before that, it's too early, and it just yeah, it depends on how dominant the guy's being. But once you get through six innings, that's when it's, okay, we need to pay attention to this. I've been fortunate enough to watch and experience a few no-hitters. During the time, you know, being in San Francisco, never, never at right. the stadium for one of them. But Jonathan Sanchez had one in 09. Tim Lutzenjum had two. Matt Kane throws a perfect game. And they're just, they're so exciting. Yeah. They're so much fun. And it was, it was a lot of fun to watch Maeda do that. Bummer he didn't get to finish it. Like he said, Polanco probably could have made that play, but it would have been a highlight real play. So it's right. hard to say, oh, he lost a no hitter because Polanco didn't make a play, even though perhaps he could. 
my favorite part of every week's podcast is you coming on and just describing how much fun you've had watching the Giants as I had to go through the 2011 to 2018 Minnesota Twins. You saw three World Series trophies, and it's great. It's great great to know that you had all that. So They are great memories. I love sharing. <laughs> oh, I, I mean. So thank you for I, listening. Right, I would absolutely too. But, yeah, Maeda, he did go eight innings. He ended up getting tagged with a run because Rodgers came in and didn't do well, but during this dominant pitching performance that Rocco Baldelli said was the greatest game he's ever seen pitch, not he didn't say it's up there. He said it's just the greatest one he's ever seen. But he was the first Twins pitcher to ever strike out eight batters in a row. Like he hit like I think five there, and was like, "Wow, all right, he's actually doing something." And six is are you kidding me? And it's the record seven. He hit that, and he got another one. It was just it was crazy. And in the midst of it, he's thrown a no hitter. It's like, are you kidding me? Exactly. And for us Twins. A pitcher gets through three no-hit innings, and you're like, oh, boy, here we go. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then it's going. It was great. Yeah, like we just talked about, when, you know, when do you start paying attention? When do you get excited? When a guy has eight consecutive strikeouts and he hasn't given up a hit, at that point, it's like, okay, he's doing something. Right. Like, he's got it. If you can get strikeout eight in the middle of the game, it's like, and you haven't given up a hit, you think, okay, he's got a really good chance. He's absolutely, of course, he's dominant tonight. He's no one's even putting the ball in play. Like, through four or five innings, it was one ball reached the outfield, and it was like a blooper that it didn't re- hit the ground, but it was just a softly hit fly ball. It was, nobody was doing anything against him. It was just insane, and it's a shame it ended the way it did. He had 115 pitches at the end. Did you think – what's your uh, thought process when a pitcher has, like, 109 pitches after the eight innings? And for a guy like Maeda, he hadn't – I don't think he'd – he hadn't really thrown many pitches this year. He'd usually go five or six, and Bell Daly would say, all right, you're good. You know, no more innings, 80 pitches or so. And what do you think of – would you I, – I would probably never really pull a guy after eight if he's got a no-hitter. Just, you know, go lob the ball up there, hope for the best. What's your opinion on that almost? I'm right there with you. It's, it's, a, very, it's a very tough decision, you know, because when you think about it just in terms of value, like to the Minnesota Twins, the fact that Kenta Maeda throws a no-hitter – doesn't necessarily add any more value than just a regular right. win, right? It's just another another W. Mm-hmm. But is there something that's just special and historic that's been awesome about the no-hitter? So if a guy has an opportunity to do it and his pitch count isn't outrageous, just let him go finish it. Yeah, and as Twins fans, again, I, we never see like guys at 100 pitches. We just don't see that, especially in Minnesota. Even in MLB at any yeah, just based just across the board. Right. Right yeah, now. it's just... That's it. And even like a guy like Baldelli, who's just super uh, health conscious and rest, likes getting his guys all that rest. And seriously, after eight, I was thinking, there's no way Baldelli sends Maeda out. Like, he's a good guy. And, you know, he, I, I, he'd probably like to see history as much as the next guy, but I don't think he's going to do it. He does. And I was surprised by that. But yeah, 115 pitches at the end, 12 strikeouts, one hit only at the loop single, and just a masterful, masterful performance. And he's been everything the twins could have possibly hoped for there's like this front office has proven time and again they know what they're doing when they make a move for a pitcher like him yeah, they just pay they basically pull all the right strings lately right it's, yeah it's, it's hard to kind of question anything they do right it's really been the only bad move that you can i mean the first year when they brought in guys like lance lane logan morrison it was a bit rough and sam dyson did not work out at all but they've made a, they've turned this organization around that you they deserve so much credit, and yeah, the Maeda trade's already looking like an absolute win on their part. So, and, and the have... contract extensions to Polanco and Kepler, right? Absolutely, yeah. Those guys are. Like, I mean, 
they both were deserving of all-star spots last year. Last year, only Polanco made it, but yeah, paying five million for two guys who could be all-stars every year is just—it's crazy. So yeah, moving on there though, Twins did take two of three from both teams, but along the way they suffered a lot of injuries to guys like Jake Odorizzi once again, Zach Littell, Tyler Clippard, Byron Buxton, Mitch Garver, just you know, name a guy he's probably on the IL. But they ended up calling up Ryan Jeffers, who had a he's had a pretty good noticeable start. He was the uh, Twins number six prospect when they called him up, and MLB Pipeline ranked him as the best Twins defensive prospect. He's He's been good so far. Like, I mean, he's played, what, three games, so very small sample size, but he's hit the ball hard, 375 OBP, and catcher's ERA, which isn't a stat that you can really rely on, but he's 360, which is I mean, pretty good. So, I don't know. What have you seen out of Ryan Jeffers? I know you like him. I do. I, yeah, I really like Ryan Jeffers. You know, he's only played three games. You can't judge him based off his numbers right now, but he's looked really good defensively. He fixed Jose Barrios, which was amazing to see. <laughs> Uh, and I like his approach. I mean, he hit the he hit the ball hard. I think that he's. I'm excited for this kid. I think he can be really good. I think he's the future. And if Garver just, well, he's injured now. But when he comes back, if Garver can't get it going offensively, I would have no problem just saying, "Hey, Ryan Jeffers, you're the everyday guy." Yeah, absolutely. And you touched on Barrios. I think it's worth just bringing up for a bit his performance. He did go out tossed six just excellent innings. Um, Last week, we had a debate of whether or not I trusted Barrios at all, and he goes out and absolutely proves me, lo- proves me wrong. I said I had zero faith in him. And so I will put him in my top three starting pitchers, but I'll just gonna, I'll just take the easy way and replace Jake Odorizzi, who's now hurt. So, you happy now? You won that? Ha- yes, thank you for showing some <laughs> love to the Jose Barrios. Yeah. I, I, I think I was just very frustrated with him last week. He showed up. I got to give him credit. So, good job, Jose. But yeah, back to Ryan Jeffers. He's... He's been good, and he's one of the uh, – he might be the biggest Twins catching prospect that we've had since uh, Joe Maurer. I know Wilson Ramos was in there before he was traded for Matt Caps. It is what it is. Um, <laughs> so so you, you don't think that you know, getting rid of Aaron Hicks or bringing uh, J.R. Murphy was worth it? I, you know, I got to say, I don't think that trade was worth it. <laughs> That is an all-time low move, and that deserves firing on its own. I'm glad. Jeez. Yeah, Jer- John Ryan Murphy. Where is he now? Like in Arizona or something? I don't even Seattle. know. Seattle. Really? No, we just we just played against him. Right, yeah. Pittsburgh. Uh, Pittsburgh. Gosh. Yeah, What? A, uh, that's a dark time in Twins history. We don't bring that up. But yeah, Ryan Jeffers, the Twins find Because Mitch Garver. He was never a big prospect. He broke out last year in a huge way, having one of the best hitting seasons a catcher's ever had. No one saw that coming. No one knew that was going to happen. He was never a top six prospect like Ryan Jeffers. So high expectations. And he can hopefully these two, like the dynamic of Jeffers-Garver, it could be an, a borderline elite catching duo for like the next three, four years, hopefully. I don't know. It, it certainly could be. We've beat we've this dead horse quite a bit on this show but with Mitch Garver I just I don't I don't believe 2019 was Mitch Garver I think the 2018 Mitch is who he's gonna be and I think Ryan Jeffers has the potential to be a lot better than that so I think I think the future of the catching position for the Minnesota Twins is Ryan Jeffers yeah from Garver for me I I think he's the guy in the middle of 2018 and 19 and but even that would still be like perfectly fine if Jeffers can become mostly what he's supposed to become because then then that'd give the twins two very rock solid catchers for a very uh 
good period of time, these next three, four years here, where the Twins are supposed to be competitive and atop the AL Central. And that's just one more spot where they can just have it locked down. And, you know, if Ryan Jeffers is the starter and Mick Chugarver is your backup for a while here, that's... Like, you do all right. Yeah, you're good at the catching position, for sure. So, yeah, uh, Ryan Jeffers there. Um, moving on, then. To, we're actually going to have an ad break here, and we'll come back with Worried or Whatever after this. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, we are back. And to start off this week, we will have, well, we'll have Rich Hill, Jorge Polanco, and Taylor Rogers. So starting off, Rich Hill, who has who came back off the IL, uh, started against Milwaukee, had two really good quick innings. I think it was seven pitches and then nine pitches, maybe the other way around, but two very quick innings. Then he came out for the third, and things started to fall apart. He ended up having a bad game. Just things didn't go well. He looked like a 40-year-old left-handed pitcher that throws 88 miles per hour. And, <laughs> well, that's what he is. But what do you think about Rich Hill? What did you see from him? You, you took the word right out, out there. He looks like a 40-year-old coming off the IL. Just I, I went into that start hoping for at least just four good innings. Right. Five if we're absolutely lucky. He couldn't do that. I'm definitely worried about Rich Hill. It's just his age and the injury history. I think he could, he still has it in him to go out there every once in a while and put together a good outing. I, I just I don't feel that I can rely on Rich Hill to take them out every fifth day. And give you a quality start. Give, well, even like a quality start, even five innings of, of two run, three run ball. I, I can't look at Rich Hill and feel that he can just do that on a consistent basis every fifth day. So I'm absolutely worried about Rich Hill. Yep, I'm in the same boat. Statistically, he's not looking good. Like he's not looking like things should really improve. His whiff percentage is below 25 percent for the first time since 2015, and it's at 12 percent. If you're not getting whiffs, you're not going to get strikeouts and He's 40 years old. He's had countless injuries already this year. He's had two. I don't know if his second IL stint was just Rocco saying, you know, get some extra time off or if he actually did have something up with him. It's likely that he was injured because, I mean, every season it seems he's got two or three injuries and that catches up to you, even if it does happen at 40 years old. I'm not sure how he's made it this far, being one of the better pitchers in the league statistically, but yeah, it seems as if time's catching up to him. And I don't know, I also don't really trust him going out every fifth day. He's my number five in the rotation right now. And they really don't even have five guys in the rotation. It's just, it's tough putting him out there. Exactly. Not, not all of us can age like Nelson Cruz. And right, I was going to bring 40. And I, I think with, with Rich Hill, I wouldn't be surprised if he eventually goes to the, into the bullpen. Yeah. Yeah, I just, just want to think you can rely on him at this point to, to go out there and give you five, six innings every fifth day. Yeah, like we know he just last year he was a good pitcher. Like he's a good pitcher. He knows how to get out. It's like maybe the best role for him is to be the what Devin Smelter is right now, where you get Matt Wisler or Tyler Clippard for two innings, but and then maybe instead of Smelter, they get Rich Hill to go through a four, three, four. And you know, maybe Smelter takes over the role of starter or something, but 
I'd like to see Rich Hale come out of the bullpen. Maybe he could even be a late inning guy if he can trend, you know, uh, switch over there with a the smooth transition. But the rotation, it's just, I don't think it's going to cut it. It's not. I mean, we don't, we don't really have lefty specialists anymore with the three batter that role, rule. But I mean, Rich Hill could also fill that role in you know, a lefty matchup. Yeah. Just, I, don't, yeah. I, don't always, I don't see him as a consistent piece of the rotation going forward. Right. Yes, the Twins, they have right now Burrios, Dobnak, hopefully Odorizzi, um, Maeda, and then you throw in maybe Rich Hill there, but it seems like they might have to move him out, and then you got you know, either the opener, Smeltzer, or whoever you want to throw in there, but probably not Rich Hill. And But with Odorizzi hurt now, do you think that keeps Rich Hill in the rotation just until it, it, they it, can get enough guys? It does, out of necessity. At this point, right. the Twins can't really afford to just say, hey, we're going to just – Get rid of another starter. Put up in the right. bullpen. They don't have the starting pitching depth to do that right now. Unless they yeah. want to turn from you know Romero into a starter again. Just call right, yeah. Up. Yeah, call up like, you know, hope Johan Duran, who seems like someone that with all these starting pitching or bullpen injuries could be primed for a call up eventually, but I don't know. A guy like him, they want to throw him right into this nineteen and ten twins rotation and or do you want to keep veteran Rich Hill and hope for the best? It's just when Michael Pineda comes back and guys like Homer Bailey, even like, I'm hoping for Homer Bailey at this point. The injuries are piling well, up, man. He got moved no, to the 45 day. Oh, he did he? I didn't even see that. Homer I guess. Bailey got moved to the 45 Gee. day IL. All right. Yeah, I guess I missed that one. Well, there goes all my hope for some Homer Bailey this season, I guess. Um, wow. Yeah. So I'm talking about the trade market, you know, but it, it, the frustrating right. part is that there really is no trade market. Right. Yeah, because teams, I don't know. It's. We've seen a couple tweets now where your points, your guy, Johnny Cueto, has been listed as the number one starting pitcher out there. And Ted Ted of Twins Daily said he doesn't think he really improves the Twins rotation. Would you argue against that? No, I'm going to argue against it. But the point that Ted was making is that Johnny Cueto would be slated in behind uh, Barrios and Maeda, which is true. Yeah. But I, Johnny Cueto at this point in his career is not better than Jose Barrios or Kenta Maeda. But just given the fact that the Twins don't even have five healthy starters, and one right. of the starters is a 40-year-old who can't pitch more than three innings and can't stay healthy, like having Johnny Cueto on your team would help the Minnesota Twins, but not when he's owed $42 million over the next two years. You don't want to pay a guy $21 million annually to be your third starter. And that's where the Johnny Cueto trade just doesn't make sense for the Minnesota Twins because they're not the type of market that can absorb $42 million for another three starter. Yeah, it's, I want to, I almost want him to come to Minnesota just so you're, you're excited for a podcast. You're just like really going off the walls. It'd be great. But, <laughs> <laughs> but that, you know, it's probably going to happen. I think the Twins are a team. We talked about this, touched on a bit last week. We can touch on it a bit more, but guys like Dylan Bundy and even, I hate to say the name because he was really annoying last year, but Martin Perez, he's on a one year cheap deal. Like, just guys that are on a one-year cheap deal that can come in and fill a number four role just so the Twins have enough starters to get through the season. Like, it'll cost a number 15 prospect or something, but you might have to just bite the bullet there and get a starter who can do something for you. I think that's the move. Or we can listen to the, the gentleman on Twitter earlier who wants to go get Ryu for Kepler and Snow and Polanco. Right, but Ryu is also in on the Dodgers organization, so it's a little tough. <laughs> yeah. Trade <laughs> <Great> scenario. <laughs> we can just throw that one out. <laughs> right so rich hill we both categorize as we are worried moving on to someone who i didn't really even consider putting on here until i really looked at the stats a little bit just because 
you watch the game and you, you don't really see it, I guess. But Jorge Polanco, who has really, he's just struggled hitting the ball hard and getting extra base hits this year. His exit velocity has dropped four miles per hour this season to 84. And his slugging has dropped from 2019, it was 485. This year it's at 367, so over 100 points. And like that's a pretty solid on-base percentage. Like his, That's not where his slugging should be at all. And Jorge Polanco, it's just... He's getting the singles. His average is fine. If you just look at the average, you go, all right, he's doing well. He's hitting in the two-hole, doing all right with average. But his extra base hits are just not coming. He's not getting the ball out there, and it might be a cause for concern. Just looking at the underlying stats, they don't show that he should improve. But I don't know. What do you see in Jorge Polanco? Definitely a little bit worried about Polanco. I think worried worried, worried in the short term. I think in the right. long run, he, he's going to get his numbers. And it's just right now with, I mean, we've had some bright spots offensively. Miguel Sano is heating up, which I guess we'll go shout out. We're finally taking Miguel Sano off the worried or whatever list. He's been on here for about three weeks in a row. So Miguel Sano, you've, you've played well enough to be off the list. Congratulations. Um, well, with Miguel Sano playing well, there's been some bright spots when Buxton McCoy got hurt. I think the, the, the Twins offense right now needs Polanco to be the Jorge Polanco of 2019. The, uh, the guy that has an 841 OPS, who slugs 485, gets on base at a, almost a 360 clip. They need him to be that guy. And so for those reasons, I'm a little worried for the short term. But I think by the time we get through the end of September, we get into the playoffs, we'll be looking at Jorge Polanco and say, okay, he put up Jorge Polanco-like numbers. So overall, it's whatever. But in the short term, a little worried. and just want to see him pick it up. I like how you mentioned uh, Sano graduated from this list because he did so well, and then we had Mitch Garver graduate from this list solely because he, we couldn't keep putting him on here. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we looked at it one week and we were like, no, we've done it. He's not getting any better. We're obviously worried. We just can't do it anymore. <laughs> exactly. And he's on the injured list, and we got Ryan Jowers. Right. Oh, man. Yeah, but I like to keep saying like it's early, but then also the Twins have played 50% of their games. So... At the end of the year, I don't think he'll have Jorge Polanco numbers just because in order to do that, he'll have to just absolutely go off the rest of the year to make up for it. But I think he'll improve. Will he be the guy we've known? I don't think so. I think it's just literally, sadly, too late in the season for him to really get going and find all that. What he had last year, the all-star stuff through the first half, and then he did slow down a bit through the second half of the year. Maybe that's still catch. He's still recovering. I don't know. He dropped off, but... Yeah, it's maybe you can pick it up in these last 30 games. In a 60-game season, all of this is um, amplified so much. And you can – it's just because halfway is at a slugging percentage of 367. And it's like, well, that's halfway through the season. It's horrible. And, you know, you got to look at it like that. The season is weird. I don't. Will you, after this season, look at stats and be like, yep, that was a real season from that guy, and I should consider that when looking at 2021? You know what I mean? That's a loaded question. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry to throw that on you, but will you, you know, will you consider it a legit season statistically, I guess? No. Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know, because Max Kepler's got an OPS under 800 now. A lot of the twins do, league wide offense was not good, and it still really isn't. It's still recovering. So it's hard to look at stats and be like, this is who this player is. Even that's, even where I'm at with Mitch Garver, who's who you're, you don't think is the 2019 guy. I don't either. I think he's in between, but he started had an abysmal start. Now he's on the IL, and 
next year I might just erase 2020 and be like, all right, just get off to a good start. And I think you're still the guy that we kind of saw in 2019, like for a lot of these guys. I think that's fair. I think it could be a, a throwout year on, on both sides, whether the guy has a really poor year or a guy has a really great year. I know this is a Twins podcast, but, you know, Charlie Blackman, right. with what he's doing offensively, I, I'm not going to buy it. I'm not going to say, oh, Charlie Blackman going into 2021 is going to be a hit 380 because he did 400 like, in 2020. Even. No. But, yeah, like guys like Charlie Blackman, Dylan Bundy, who's never been the Cy Young candidate that he is this year. It's just, yeah, there's guys who have – Great seasons, guys who are usually really good that are having very down seasons, and it's just uh, it doesn't fit well. It's sixty games, and but we can still, of course, look at it this year and worry about them this year because there is a season going on right now. And I would like to win the World Series. The Twins would like to win the World Series, but for Jorge Polanco, I am a bit worried about his power struggles so far this year. And he like he's hitting a, he's getting base hits, he's getting on base, but it's just like. Even at that as a lesser clip, he's just not hitting the ball nearly as hard and for sure a reason to worry. Yeah, I was just All right. looking at it. So, I mean, Jorge Polanco, he has 30 hits on the year, but he only has 38 total bases. Right, yeah, for sure. The extra base hits have just not been there this year, and it's, it's a struggle. But hope, he's, he's usually like a doubles machine out there, but he, he just has to get it going. Moving on, then, the final guy on this list, Taylor Rogers, the Twins elite closer coming into the year has struggled a bit. He's, he gave up, he came in after Mike Kenta Maeda and uh, gave up, Twins were up 3-0, so he would have given up three runs there. One of them was credited to Maeda, but yeah, he didn't have good good outing there. In Pittsburgh, he gave up the walk-off. Um, he's had a couple more. We just didn't like Sharp today. He gave up a run as well. The final game of the Twins-Royals series. And what do you think? Taylor Rogers? he's, people are saying he's, you know, getting unlucky with the batted batting average on balls in play. That's certainly true. Are you seeing different things from Taylor Rogers this year than usual? So his struggles, if you want to call them struggles, he's still a good pitcher. Right. I date back to yeah, after the all-star break last year. He wasn't as dominant in the second half as you know, he was in the first half of the year. Still a very effective you know, pitcher. I mean, good closer, without a For doubt. Sure. So there's definitely some concern there, um, but I'm not like overly worried about him. I think ultimately, I believe it was Matthew Taylor, fellow writer at Twins Daily, Todd wrote an article about moving him into lower leverage opportunities, which I think would, would benefit the Minnesota Twins. I mean, between Tyler Duffy, Trevor May, Sergio Romo, those guys can take care of the ninth. Maybe if you use Rodgers in the seventh or the eighth, you use him as your setup guy. That yeah. might be where we where we end up going with, with Taylor Rogers. Yeah, like kind of replace his role and maybe Trevor Mays or something, just because him and Tri- May and Duffy have been dominant. Uh, you know, Rogers is supposed to be up there with them. He's just had a bit of a slow start. Statistically, Rogers is here's what's interesting. Rogers is giving up a career low exit velocity at eighty six point seven miles per hour, but he's giving up a career high batting average on balls in play at four twenty three, and his previous career high was three oh seven. Like. He's getting very unlucky, but and he's also striking out guys still. 11.57K per nine and a low walk per nine of 0.96. Like, the numbers don't back up at all what his ERA is. It's 4.82. It's just a lot of numbers there, but it's he shouldn't be struggling as much as he has been. And I agree, putting him in some situations that aren't nearly as high leverage as the ninth inning with, you know, one run lead, of course. Just, you know, seventh inning, two run lead, see what he can do, get him out there. And Trevor May and Tyler Duffy to clean it up in the eighth and ninth. 
I think that'd work well and just give him some time to recover, get his confidence back if it's wavering right now. So I'm not. Yeah, I, with, with, yeah. with the low exit velocity against him and the high, you know, batting average on balls in play, I, if he's going, that's going to even itself out and he's going to be effective again. And it, so I'm definitely not worried. Definitely more on the whatever with Taylor Rogers, perhaps just again, yeah, get him in lower leverage situations, get the confidence back up, whatever the situation may be. And then he's he's going to be just fine. Taylor Rogers is not a bad pitcher. There's nothing to be worried about with him. It's just try something different until he can fix himself and be that elite level guy again, not just a good pitcher. For sure. He's yeah. Taylor Rogers is up there with the best. Like, you you can't argue. I mean, you can't argue against that. He's one of the better, for sure, lefties out there, and he can get both righties and lefties out. It's just he hasn't been as effectively this year, and it's not even really his fault. Pit, batters would love to take that slider and just poke it to left field. It's happened like ten times this year already. It's really annoying, but I guess it's good on the hitters. So yeah, uh, Rich Hill definitely worried. Polanco a little bit worried, and then Taylor Rogers not so worried. That works out perfectly. I like how we did that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. That's for uh, those three. And moving on to a discussion that I think will be really fun is should Brian Dozier, uh, when he's retired, his career's over, which could be now with how things are looking, should he be included into the Minnesota Twins Hall of Fame? I wrote about, the, about this over at Twinkie Town. I said he should be, but you know I, we can talk about that. What do you think, Andrew? Do you think from be, your limited time as a Minnesota Twins fan, just looking at it from the outside a bit, what's your opinion on Brian Dozier? Knee-jerk reaction is absolutely not. Uh, really? Brian, Do- Brian Dozier was a, a good player for the Minnesota a good, a very good player on a, on a very bad Minnesota Twins team. Right. Uh, he had three really good years. Sorry, he had two, two elite-level years offensively. In 20, his all-star season wasn't even his best year. But in 2016, 886 OPS, 2017, 856 OPS plus of 134 and then 126. He's got, you know, 30 plus home runs and then 40, 90 plus RBIs. Outside of 2016 and 2017, Brian Dozier was just good. A good ball player with two elite years. And I don't think that's enough to put a guy in, in the Twins Hall of Fame. I mean, you know, how are you going to put him in there alongside a guy like Joe Mauer or Herbeck, Tony O, Carew, Lyle Those even, Joe Nathan. The only if you want to call it a saving grace, so the only comp that I would say, okay, maybe Dozier has a chance, is the fact that Michael Kadir is yep. in the Twins Hall of Fame. Because Brian Dozier, offensively, and just numbers-wise, was a better player than Michael Kadir was. So that might get him in, but just on the surface and looking at what he did as a member of Minnesota Twins, I don't think it's enough to honor this guy to put him in your franchise Hall of Fame. <clears throat> sure. Yeah, you argued he shouldn't be up there with guys like um, Maurer and... You know, the elite of the elites. And then, I mean, ranking-wise, he ranks 24th in career war among all Minnesota Twins. That's ahead of guys like, of course, Justin Morneau, who I was surprised by. Of course, Michael Kadire, you mentioned him. And, like, Earl Batty are some guys that he's just ahead of in war. He's 10th all-time for Minnesota Twins home runs, which is a stat, you know, in in Hall of Fame. You look at it and go, all right, it's pretty good. 27th in runs scored, 21st stolen bases, and 28th in RBIs. So he's top 30 in, like, cumulative offensive stats. His career line isn't too impressive. Uh, you know, 325 OBP, 447 slugging, but 
he, the thing for me that gets Dozier in is it's like exactly how Kadir got in. He was just for like five years, even when he wasn't the elite player, he was just the only player on the Twins that you could that you'd like know, and that was just the heart and soul of this team. He was the only player that was really notable on this team for those five horrible years, and it's just for that era. I mean, the Twins really deserve much, not really, but Brian Dozier was just the guy out there for all those years when he was traded it was just surprising i mean not really because this front office never actually wanted him it was kind of weird 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 relationship there but yeah for five years brian doger was just the guy in minnesota everyone knew him and for me he's like kadair in the way that he gets in based on that it's not so much his skill but what he did for the team and that's completely fair and that's the the portion of the the brian doger twins hall of fame argument that i can't necessarily add contribute to as much because right. I wasn't watching the Minnesota Twins on a daily basis, you know, during Brian Dozier years and yeah, lucky living, you. living, you know, on the West Coast. I knew who Brian Dozier was. He was probably the only member of the Minnesota Twins where I right. knew who he was. And so based on that, that's the only way he, he gets in. And like you said, it's comparable to Michael Kadire. Numbers-wise, he's better. So with that comp, he has a chance. But just looking at the raw numbers, he is not a guy for me that I would honor with franchise hall of fame and kind of what you were saying in hey, people probably say you and everybody else is probably sick of hearing me talk about the giants at this point but it's kind of like in, in a way like <laughs> tim lincecum right when, when lincecum broke into big leagues and he won his back-to-back side youngs in 2008 2009 the giants were a terrible team they were under 500 and then when they got really good well 2010 he was still dominant he pitched really well in the postseason but from 2011 and on tim lincecum was a below average major league pitcher so that he had three or four good years with two absolutely elite years in back-to-back side young ones. And then he had two no-hitters later in his career. And that's a guy who absolutely, if you had asked me, does Tim Lincecum belong in the Giants Hall of Fame? No, no, no brainer. Retire his number. I love Tim Lincecum. And I, I think for Twins fans, maybe that's where Brian Dozier fits in as well. The overall numbers aren't that impressive, but he had some really elite-level years, and he was like the bright spot on a bad team. And if that's enough for Twins fans to put him in the Hall of Fame, Deservedly so, but just based on overall numbers, I no. Right, yeah. Overall numbers, I would, if it was just going off that, I wouldn't. But for me, the franchise Hall of Fame is more about what you, what you kind of meant to the franchise. And along the way, he um he racked up some of the most notable homers of this last decade. I don't know if you remember this, but the uh, seven run comeback the Twins had in the ninth against the Detroit Tigers in 2015. It's notable among Twins fans because that's all we had for like five years. But yeah, he hit the walk-off against Joaquin Soria, just got him going right before the All-Star break. It was like right after he was denied an All-Star selection and Minnesota was just riled up about it. And then he goes out in two walk-offs in a week. He eventually, of course, made it in as an all, as a All-Star replacement. And in his lone at-bat in the All-Star game, he hit a home run. And then the Twins' only playoff game until, of course, 2019, but Dozier wasn't on the team in the only playoff game in 2017, the wildcard game, Dozier leads off the game with a home run. Like he was just, he was the notable guy. He had notable moments and he just remembered at least by me as someone who did so much for this franchise from when he debuted all the way to when he was traded in 2018. And he deserves that recognition of getting in there. Like there's guys in the franchise hall of fame, such as Michael Kadire, who didn't have those numbers, but he provided a, he was the face of the Twins for a while, and so was Brian Dozier. And if you're the face of a team for 
five, four or five years, I think you deserve to be recognized in there. And that's fair. If we're having this conversation just based off sentiment and feelings and what he meant to fans during the time that he was a member of the organization, yes, deservedly so. Put him in the Twins Hall of Fame. But again, just based off the numbers, I no. No shot. All right. I'll actually, I'm, I think I'm just going to tweet out a poll right now, and then we'll see how it goes. But, yeah, for me, I would put him in off numbers alone. I would not. I can't argue with you there. He, he did nothing crazy. He did – he hit 42 homers in one year, which was, like, the second most in franchise history. I might be remembering that wrong, but it was most a second baseman ever hit for sure in franchise history, and, yeah. But, yeah, numbers alone, no. What he did for the team, I would put him in. So I see where you're coming from, and I see both sides of the argument. In seven years with the Twins, he had a 772 OPS, which is good. It's above right. the average, but it's not great. A 109 OPS plus. So you're looking at a guy over seven years with the Minnesota Twins who was above average, but not great outside of two elite years. He's, the sad thing is he's also all we had for those seven years, man. There was no one. I mean, we had Joe Maurer, of course, hanging in there, but Everyone knows Joe Maurer. He was, and Joe Maurer also wasn't, he was good, but he wasn't Joe Maurer that we all knew. Like, Brian Dozier was just the guy. Like, those stats are surprising to me, but also not. Like, just because he was the one guy you recognized on the team for all those years. He was the face of the franchise almost until uh, guys like Buxton, Rosario Snow started to really break out. But by that team, that time, Dozier was on his way out. So, yeah, for me, I, I, cert- I can see your arguments, but... I would put him in there just based on what he means to the franchise overall and what he did for the Twins and the moments he was involved in, I think. And that's fair. Like I said, again, <laughs> if we're going off sentiment and feelings, and yeah. then put I mean, him in. And I think the other portion of this Franchise Hall of Fame debate is the off-the-field stuff, too, and yeah. what a player means to the fan base and to for the sure. community. And Brian Dozier checks those boxes as well. He's a great guy. I, I love Brian Dozier. You know, he's a phenomenal man. And so I would be happy for him. And I would, you know, I'd probably if we pre-COVID, if we can actually go to baseball games again, and if Brian Dozier does get into the Minnesota Twins Hall of Fame, I'll probably be there for it. Get the Brian Dozier bobblehead and celebrate it and be happy. Yeah. But I, I, the numbers-wise, I no, don't put him in. Right. I, yeah, numbers-wise, I cannot argue. And if he was elected... I might be a little biased just because Brian Dozier was my favorite player for all those years. I just loved watching him play. Maybe I'm a little biased. Who knows? When I put my Twitter poll out there, I'll find out for sure what Twins fans think. And coming from you, a Giants fan who's just had so much fun these years, it's, man. Yeah. <laughs> Did Brian Dozier have even started on the Giants except for those, like, two years? You know, there was actually, okay, so there was actually a period of time where it, a lot of Giants fans wanted Brian Dozier to come to San Francisco. Like they wanted right. a trade for Brian Dozier. Because, so, you know, they had Freddie Sanchez and they won in 2010. And they had Marco Scudero and they won in 2012. And then Scudero gets hurt. And then in 2013, in the first part of 2014, they, their second base like situation was bad. And so they brought up right. Joe Panic, who had one good year. And then he kind of fell off the map. And, and so, yeah, that during all, all of that time, there, it was, do the Giants go out and get Chase Utley or Brian Dozier? Like, those were the two names that were talked <laughs> about the most in, in San Francisco to fill the second base spot. And they end up signing Dan Ugla for three games. So. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, Dozier was 
swirled around in trade rumors throughout that whole division from like 2015 to 2018 when he was finally sent to the Dodgers. But yeah, I knew he was going to end up in one of those teams eventually. But Giants had no need for him when they were just not a good baseball team, I guess. So yeah, he needs to upgrade the team when they win a World Series. <laughs> so yeah, that's great. But yeah, for me, I'd put him in. I know it's it might be controversial, but I'm thinking I'm thinking they'll most fans vote yes, but. We'll find out next week. I'll give everyone the poll results. Talk about that. You, what did you write this week? You want to talk about that at all? I haven't written anything this week, but I, I am toying with the idea of writing an article exploring whether or not strikeouts are inherently worse than outs recorded on balls put in play. And For, when when is it more valuable to put a ball in play versus striking out? And I think the, the, the obvious situation that everyone, everyone who's listening isn't yeah. it say, well, runner on third, less than two outs, put the ball in play, drive him in. But absolutely, sacrifice fly, infield, you know, an out ground ball to second baseman, assuming the infield's not in. But, and this is where doing the research and coming up with this, it'd be interesting to look at, you know, how many times does that actually happen? Yeah. Throughout the sure. course of the season. And yeah, is, there, is there a lot of, or do you, would you rather have a guy like Miguel Sano who can hit a ball 800 feet or he might strike out or a guy like, well, Avery Adrianza, who can slap down a bunt and bring in a run and get out. Yeah, that's a good question. Would you rather have the chance of the 500-foot bomb or the almost, you know, 50-50 that the run will score with Adrianza laying down a bunt or hitting a sack fly or something? Or Polanco. And, and, and a perfect example that I think people can point to and say, well, strikeouts are bad. Put the ball right. in play. Is the, the game against the Brewers, the Maeda almost no-hitter that went into extra innings and the Twins win on this, like, off the handle, the bat, excuse me, swing from Jorge Polanco that triples past a pitcher and bucks and dashes home and hurts himself. But, like, in that situation, Jorge Polanco putting the ball in play and getting out won the game. If he strikes out, we're probably still playing that game. Right. Do you, Would you rather have Polanco in that situation or Miguel Sano, who has a 40% chance of striking out? Like, it's a good question okay. to look into statistically. And that would be a fun one. So, if still listening at this point. Hope you are. Let mm. me know your thoughts on it. Hit me up on Twitter at Gebo, G-E-B-O, three underscores. Let me know if you think strikeouts are the worst thing ever or not, and whether or not recording out on a ball in play is 100% of the time better than a strikeout. Let me know. Right, and hopefully we will be able to discuss that either next week or this coming week. So, yeah, good talk. Talk to you, talk to you next week. Have a good night.